I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, Adam Campbell. It is January 12th, and I'm being joined by the lovely, the amazing Erin. How are you, my dear? Hi, yo. I'm good. <laughs> so we've got a busy I day like today. Parents. What? Oh, my God. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, it's in and out. <laughs> I want to get her down the stairs, is what I was saying. You walked your computer down the stairs? I want to kick it down the stairs because oh. <laughs> it's being such a cunt. <laughs> There's the C word again. Everyone's <laughs> using it. Oh, it's I use it every day at least. Nice. Nice. I don't think I do. Um, I use dick a lot. You can make a New Year's resolution. That's true. Start, start saying cunt at least once a day. I think I will. Let's get to the word. Well, how about we talk about the show a little bit? So at the beginning, we're going to do a little devil's advocate. And this is going to be in response to a response to <laughs> the satanic temple people. So I don't know. I, I often say things like, we cannot only react as Satanists. And so that's drawn some questions about what the fuck am I talking about? Because it implies that there's some sort of action that we could be taking. And so I'm going to sort of talk a little bit about responding to detractors in this devil's advocate. In The Infernal Informant, we're going to bring you two articles. First, The Real Victims of Satanic Ritual Abuse. Now, this is a big article. We're only going to cover a little bit of it and then talk about it. And new reports say millions of women at risk of falling into poverty. Economic ruin. And then, of course, Aaron's in the house, so we have to do a down to the crossroads. And this is going to be episode, I think, what, 18? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some. We're going to say 18, and this is going to be what? It's like a best of. Nice. For the new year, I want to recap. We've been through a lot together. Yeah, we have. We've never done one of these before, so this should be interesting. I know. Mm -hmm. All right, so the best of for Down to the Crossroads. All right, so uh, before we dive into the show, a couple things. Today, we are, after this is recorded, we're going to be recording the live um, Get to Know the Voices of Nine Cents. Now, this is the first episode. This is going to be um, Aaron interviewing me based on listener questions and request. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Mm. And um, so we're going to kind of test it. We both have some issues, so I don't know how well it's going to go. <laughs> and of course, if you can't tune in, then I'm going to try to save it and package it and, and sort of process it so it's in a, a better version, uh, you know, video editing and such. So I don't know how well that's going to work. I don't know when it's going to be available. And because we're recording this before we do that... <laughs> mm -hmm. if that makes any sense to anyone um, I can't say whether or not it's even worked at all so <laughs> we're going to try we are going to try you would think that like nowadays it should be an easy process but everything should not. be easier than it is <laughs> it's so not easy mm -mm. Um, so you know look, look forward to that later on tonight and of course as you're listening to this go to the website 9centspodcast.com or go to the YouTube uh, channel and there should be at some point, a live version of that, uh, a video of the live version of the discussion. All right, so in other news, go check out churchofsatan.com. I just finished um, formatting in a fluid grid format, which just means that it, it formats much like 9centspodcast.com does now to whatever device you're looking on. So if you're looking at a smart device, it gives you a mobile view. If you're looking at a tablet, it gives you a bit of an adjusted layout. Uh, and then the desktop is the normal layout that you've all come to grow and love, know and love, I suppose, uh, since October. So look forward to that. It took a lot of freaking work. And if you see any errors, please shoot me a message and I will address them. But again, amazing content made that much easier for you to digest. Go to churchofsatan.com on your smartphone and you'll see what I'm talking about. I've also added some sharing buttons at the bottom of essay pages if you wanted to use that as a means of uh, sharing it out to your social networks. Just a little bit easier, trying to, you know, 
but we it can. Uh, so good. Thanks. Make the site look a little bit better. And we do have a lot of other things, sort of, uh, you know, in the in the conceptual phase, I should say. So we are. It, it is a continuing process, along with Nine Cents. Uh, the Church of Satan's website is going to continue to evolve and uh, utilize techno modern technologies, really. Um, to allow you to get the information you want faster and better with more power. I don't, I don't Bigger, know stronger, faster. Yeah, perfect. Thanks. <laughs> All right. And then another news, I don't, I, I believe I was talking to you, Aaron, about this deal I made about solar panels. Yes. Uh, with trade. It's finally come to freaking fruition. It has happened, people. I, I And this is, I wanted to talk about this not in like, ooh, hey, look what I got type frame, but I want to talk about in achieving goals. So when I first moved into the house that I'm living in now, this is my wife and I's very first home. Um, it's sort of a starter home, but we wanted to improve it as much as possible and, and sort of make it our own. And one of our first uh, discussions was about adding solar panels to our roof. And, you know, that was close to five or six years ago that we started the, the discussions about it. And it wasn't until now that it actually happened, but it, it's it's that notion that because you have goals that at the time may not seem realistic, it doesn't mean that you should continue looking at ways to have what you want come about. So you need to, just as successful human being, productive human beings, you have to be able to set goals and even if you don't meet them immediately, continue trying to achieve them or else they wouldn't be goals that you want to achieve in the first place. Uh, you have to put in the time and effort for it. In this case, I put in a lot of fucking time on this uh, website for the company that installed it. It looks brilliant. The installation is amazing and it was fantastic. So if anyone's in the Utah area and you're looking for solar panels, I might have a contact for you. But uh, yeah, it looks fantastic. I'm super excited about it. I think, Adam, that you need to start like a offshoot blog called the hippie satanist and it could just be you like dressed in a dashiki with a headband talking about um solar panels and <laughs> planting your own garden and going hiking with your dog and shit it'd be like what's super granola satanist what's a dashiki I mean, you know dashiki it's like those things that hippies wore in the 60s it's kind of like a burlap sack but it's maybe tie-dyed oh, okay. or swirly <laughs> I believe, maybe. I mean, I could be wrong. My mom was a hippie and she told me a lot of shit that I might be lies now. <laughs> but I think that she, uh, did she get <laughs> But I'm saying if things fall through, you know, things fall apart for you as like a podcast host or something, you could just take it to like um, cable access. It's like a hippie Satanist kind of thing. <laughs> it's just a vision I had. I'm sorry. I hate the idea of it. Oh my god! Anything. Think about, live with it, sleep with it a couple of nights. Picture yourself <laughs> with long hair again. Try it and on. Walk around the room for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Sorry. Um. Good idea. Good idea. Okay. <laughs> think about humor it. Humor me. <laughs> I'm a little more concerned about your your offhanded comment there. If this <laughs> podcast host doesn't work out. No, that was it just. No, that was just a means to an end. That was just Do you a... you know something? I don't... <laughs> no, no. Just a turn of phrase so I could get that joke in real quick right. before I lost it. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, definitely. This will be like my my, my uh, version of uh, the the Mike Myers film, the, the Guru, Love Guru or something. Yeah, yeah, like, like that. Like a Charles Manson kind of hippie Satan. totally ruins my entire career. Mm. It'll be nice. <laughs> yeah, you know. There'd be a couple dreadlocked individuals that may dig it. Oh, yeah. Well, wait a second. Is that how you see it, though? Like, when, when I discuss gardens and when I discuss homebrewing and when I discuss solar panels, you're like, <laughs> fucking hippie. Um, no. I just wanted to tease you. I mean, kind of, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I guess it did occur to me. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, I've never even I thought of it as like a hippie type thing. I just, I thought it was economically practical, you know? Like, that's how I was looking at it. Oh, no, you're 100% correct, and I'm just jealous. <laughs> I'm just jealous because I can't uh, grow my own food or make my own anything. <laughs> I can start a commune. That's Aaron. what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> we'll have our own cable access satanic hippie commune. Fucking A. Everyone come on down. We will, I, we will convert our own feces into soil. <laughs> Dude, we'll get so much pussy. Think about it. <laughs> Stinky, dirty, hairy Hippie. pussy. 
Think about it. <laughs> think about it. All right. We'll invest in patchouli. Awesome. Okay. Well, how about we start the show? You want to do a little double? I thought we game? had. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. In nomine de nostris, Thomas I do not speak for the Church of Satan. The devil's advocate responding to detractors. Aaron, I want your opinion on this, if you would be so kind. Ugh. How do you think we should approach... Um, and, and we have to look at this on sort of micro and macro levels. Because it's different. It's one thing if it's someone walking up to you and saying, Ooh, Satanism is about killing babies. <laughs> your address to that would be one way. But if it's a news article, or if it's... Uh, uh, a news uh, feature online or, or on the television, how would you react to that? How do you think people should react to it? Well, um, I think they should react, uh, you know, individual people. What I would, what I would do if I were so inclined to, um, if you were an individual person, if individual and <laughs> thought for myself, <laughs> no. Um, but I would just pass along the hierarchy is, words i think that's my best approach it's because i'm not as well spoken i can't uh you know be as concise and clear as what's already written i mean it's all written especially with the website and the tumblr you know we can see what what's being said and we can share it easily especially now with the new website we can share it all so easily yeah buttons. i don't buttons, buttons. man <laughs> that's what i'm talking about <laughs> No, but uh, I think that's go for me. I think that's, I mean, obviously that's the ideal way to do it. Um, I ignore it. But is it is it enough to just respond with, with I know the written word? Do you think that there's anything other that, that we could do? Like a, take a proactive stance, you mean? Yeah. What, can you think of anything that, that, that might entail that? I don't know. I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. You you seem like you have an idea. I, I, right. I don't really. Well, here's the, here's the thing is that I, I've been kicking this around for quite some time, this notion of reaction. Um, and I've, I've had discussions on this podcast before about um, being in control of your message, um, defining yourself and not allowing others to do that. And that, by extension is Satanism and the Church of Satan for those of us who are members um, and active members. So I think it is important to carry out the, um, to spread the, the corrective words of the hierarchy for sure. If you ever see anyone in a news article or something, just go to the comments section and post a link to um, the hierarchy's words uh, in, in response to that. But there might be a little bit more that we can do. And bear with me, because this is a suggestion. This is by no means a requirement, and I don't think it would work for every individual. Um, and of course, there's some you know, personal issues that you would have to work through if you would take this road. But I think living openly as a Satanist gives us the opportunity to define Satanism more and clarify what Satanism is more than just responding to detractors' news articles or, or essays. And we have these idiots um, with the Rick Scott thing, with the gay marriage thing, and with the um, monument thing, really literally trying to define and being successful on some part of what Satanism is incorrectly. Um, and people only see that because they... You know, that, that, that's what they're told is Satanism. So they're, oh, well, he says this is Satanism, so it must be. Um, and why would they even bother to visit the church of Satan.com? They were just told what Satanism was by a self-proclaimed Satanist, even though it's all lies. Why would they look it up? So we can't just rely on people to do the math themselves because they, they figure it's already been done. Um, and so living openly as a Satanist, um, being a responsible part of society, um, that gives fuel to the definitions of what Satanism is. Rather than standing on a, a, a state grounds with a stupid Marvel Loki headdress on <laughs> and calling out uh, 
you know, to some stupid news camera, you can just live a successful fucking life as a known Satanist. And people will use that. It's sort of like when you have kids. You teach by example primarily. Um, you know, you try to influence them one-on-one -on -one through discussion, but they're going to look at what you do and use that as a guide in, in the majority of their life choices. So it, it goes hand-in-hand hand with everything else. For those of you in your communities, if it's safe, if you're comfortable with it, if it works for you, living as an open Satanist tells, informs everyone without you beating them over a head with what it is, that it's not some childish uh, killing a cat on, you know, a park in the middle of the night mm -hmm. uh, religion. This is, this is a serious thing that's been codified, that's been defined for nearly 50 years, that is about responsibility to the responsible, and it's about individual strength. It has nothing to do with what these idiots are, are defining it as. And so when I say... It's not enough just to react. It's not enough just to respond. We have to do more. That means that we have to, on our own basis, again, disclaimers all included there, we have to be Satanism throughout our lives. And that's what I try to do. That's what I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, Aaron, that's what you try to do. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, you know, as you were um, explaining this, I really formulated a sort of idea in my head of what that meant to me. And it's exactly what I do every day. You know, I act like a normal human being. <laughs> I go to work. I make a, you know, I make a living. I love my job. I have coworkers that know who I am and, you know, know about Satanism. Even my boss at work, like, he's great. You know, he cracks jokes about it. Like, you know, we were talking about the holiday party. And then he said, and then, of course, there's Aaron the Satanist. So we have to make some, you know, concessions for her. And he was joking, of course. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's that's what it is. It's just fucking totally normal, you know. And that's my boss. I mean, very, very fortunate that I have one of the world's coolest bosses. And um, but I also work in an environment where that it's safe. You know, I work in an academic library. When I've applied for the job, I had, you know, I had tattoos and piercings and I said, of course, I'll, you know, take this out and cover these up if that's what you want. <laughs> the person doing the hiring was like, oh, come on, we're an academic library on the campus of a university. Nobody gives a shit what you look like, <laughs> and what you do. Um, so I'm really lucky, but I think that's how I, I, I do it on a daily basis. You know, I just act like a normal person um, talk about it. People hear about it, then they get curious and they go look it up because they're like, oh, Jesus Christ, Aaron seems so normal, but she's actually sacrificing cats on the weekend. And then they maybe go look it up and go, oh, wait, no, <laughs> we know what she does on the weekend. She hangs out with us and goes to the bars or whatever. <laughs> she's just a normal person. So I think it's important. I mean, the best way to battle it <laughs> is by not battling it and just living it. Um, that way you diffuse the argument before it can even start. So that's what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, controlling the goddamn greater satanic conversation. I mean, right. living your life as a responsible individual, and if you can, correcting people when they are wrong. Uh, if not through your actions already, then by directly refuting the bullshit that's stated. So, this is just my opinion. This is not official anything. But I think, as any member of the Church of Satan, if you see someone misrepresenting what Satanism is, it is incumbent upon you to correct them. You don't have to out yourself to do it, and I've spoken to this on the show again before, but you can safely figure out a way of correcting them without outing yourself if you don't want to. If you are an active member, it is my opinion again, this is not official anything, but if you're an active member, it's your responsibility to definitely counteract any lies. You need to either post those comments like we mentioned early on, you need to represent Satanism responsibly and truthfully, and you need to go out of your way to correct those individuals and ensure that they don't leave with a cloudy definition because they're going to carry it on to the next person. This is our religion. I, and I would imagine that if you're a member or if you're an active member, then it's important to you. So why would you just sit by and allow it? And I'm not saying anyone's doing it, but this is giving me, you know, fuel to rant by implying that not everyone is. So don't think I'm talking shit about you because mm -hmm. you're probably not. Um, but the reality is it's, it's incumbent upon us to ensure that the definitions are correct because they exist. They've been existing for almost 50 years. There's no reason why anyone should not understand. There is only one definition of Satanism, codified by Anton LaVey, 
that's it. There's no Levian Satanism. There's <laughs> no spiritual Satanism. There's no theistic Satanism. There's just Satanism. And if we don't clarify it, if we don't stand up and correct it when we see it being used incorrectly, then we are at fault for it not being understood. Because it's not incumbent upon the public who doesn't give a fuck <laughs> to look it up and understand truth. <laughs> it doesn't matter to them. And I'm not saying proselytize. That is not what we're about. I'm just saying correcting information and living responsibly. There's a dramatic difference, and I hope you can see it. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that, Erin? Absolutely not. That was perfect. <laughs> you covered it. Please, let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> not what I was saying. All right, well, we have a lot to talk about in the Inferno Forum, so how about we dive over to they all? Here we go. Hey, what's going on, friends? Uh, Inferno Foreman. You know the truck. You out there. This new report says millions of women at risk of falling into poverty and economic ruin. This is from today, uh, NBCNews.com. Although in recent decades, women have made historic advances in nearly all areas of American public life, a staggering number of women across the country are still teetering on the verge of poverty and economic disaster, a new report released Sunday shows. The report, co-authored by NBC News special anchor Maria Shriver and the Center for American Progress, takes a wide-angle snapshot of a national economic crisis seen through the eyes of women. The key findings paint a portrait of an estimated 42 million women and 28 million dependent children saddled with financial hardship. These are not women who are wondering if they can't, quote, have it all, Shriver wrote in her introduction to the report. These are women who are already doing it all, working hard, providing, parenting, and caregiving. They're doing it all, yet they and their families can't prosper, and they're weighing the U.S. economy down. Amid an, amid an apparent boon... In female empowerment and participation, a time in which women earn the majority of secondary degrees and represent more than half of the country's voters, the report says that millions of women are still struggling on the margins of American society, bruised by the recession and the day-to-day -day trials of family finances. Women make up close to two-thirds of minimum wage workers in the country, and upward of 70% of those low-wage workers receive no paid sick days whatsoever, according to the report. These are people who are trying to survive a minimum wage, which is not a living wage, Shriver said on NBC's Meet the Press Sunday. The number one thing that would make the most difference to them is getting sick days. All the while, some 40% of all American households with children below the age of 18 include mothers who are either the only or primary source of income. With the average earnings of full-time female workers still just 77% of the average earnings of their male colleagues. The authors also also presented the results of a survey of 3,500 adults across America that offers a glimpse into the on-the-ground realities of contemporary womanhood. Do you want me to keep going? There's a lot of statistics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe if we, do you want to just go over um, the chief findings from the survey? Yeah. 73% wish that they had made better financial decisions over the course of their lives, and so did 65% of the total survey group. Low women are more likely than men to regret tying the knot when they did, 52% versus 33%, and nearly one-third of low-income women with children wish they had postponed having children and had fewer of them. So, um, I mean, in, in essence, this article is written, um, I think, to shed light on uh, the fact that women are not doing as well as the author thinks they should, right. I think. Um, what, what was your take on that? I mean, I, yeah, that's, I guess, what the point was. And then they talk about Beyonce later, and that part confused me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, I'm not sure what the point is exactly, except that now women are sort of um, – catching up to men as far as being the, the, the breadwinners. Well, I mean, the, the title of the story is that uh -huh. more and more women are at risk of falling into poverty and economic ruin. So, um, you know, if we read like further on here, it would have talked about how there, um, have been, uh, reinforcing messages from people like Beyonce, as you mentioned in Hillary okay. Clinton, um, about women's role in society and, you know, what we should do to help, um, help women sort of take control of their own lives, um, and not 
you know, air quotes here, fall into economic ruin. But if you look at the findings of um, the survey respondents, uh, who are all low-income families, I'm sorry, females, they all reference decisions that they made themselves, mm. not that the greater society made for them. And every single one of them, um, for example, uh, postponing having children, um, uh, tying the knot earlier or later than, rather than earlier, um, having made better financial decisions or having uh, spent more energy on their in education and career. These are all personal decisions that have nothing to do with the society. So I know it's hard to sort of, you know, draw any fair conclusion here without true statistical information. But based on this article, it sounds like the reason why women are falling more and more into poverty and economic ruin is because of decisions they made themselves. Not society. Well, I guess one could argue that society, you know, forced these women to make those decisions or the, taught them that those decisions um, were secondary to the, you know, the women or used to having and normally have is that of the wife, stay-at-home mom. So I guess one could argue that those are societal um, forces that are making these women make bad decisions, I guess, essentially. That's an interesting comment because there's no denying religious communities definitely prefer the woman to stay home and raise the children. Mm -hmm. um, there are even political parties that push that notion. Um, but because we do have a country full of examples of successful women because we do have um you know so many examples of, of women who have not um followed that logic even though they may even believe those religions or are members of those parties can we just say that it's a societal thing i mean is there because we're speaking specifically to women here and they have a history of um being subservient to men through civilizations um is it fair just to say that it's because they're women or it's because society? No, I mean, I would never say it was all all one thing. You know, it wasn't all society's fault. They definitely have some uh, accountability in this decision. But there was a time when men and women coupled for life, you know, ostensibly. And that was just the way it worked. And there was a symbiotic relationship. Uh, men did this and women did that. And together they made this a fabulous household where everyone grew up well-adjusted and happy. Um, and sometime in the 50s or whenever, I don't know, that changed, you know. And, you know, rightly so, perhaps. You know, I guess you could argue that that worked for a long time. And, you know, why we don't live like that anymore there's probably a million reasons why that we could talk about. But, you know, I think these women, if they're deciding to be single, you know, independent women, there are consequences to that. You know, maybe that's the takeaway, isn't that, you know, you want it, you're a feminist, you want to live your own life, you want to, you know, have children when you want to have children and you want to finish school and then get a high paying job. And, um, okay, there you go. Those, but you have, responsibilities and there are repercussions to that life and maybe that's something we should think about too yeah and and it is still true and they, you know we read this early on where women are approximately making like 77 percent that of men in mm -hmm. equal stations so it's not like you know we're fair across the board or anything like that right. so there is some s discrimination still happening but more and more do you think that this is um and and this is probably not going to be fair to say, but uh, I'm going to compare it to um, affirmative action. Mm, yeah. Do you think that um, it's still something that that's, that's really a mark on women that they should mm -hmm. just accept? You will be paid less. Accept it. You will um, statistically have the higher chance of being stuck with children and being alone with them uh, in certain communities. Um, you will not be able to have a focus on life and career over family. I mean, is this something that is still hmm. being told to them nowadays? No, and I don't think, you know, I think women can, should be whatever they want to be, you know, what they, what they define as their um, 
independence and sovereignty and liberation, you know, each woman should have their own definition. Um, it'd be nice if they could just choose that without having to pick sides or pick one thing, you know, I mean, life is hard. Life is tough for everybody. Um, do you think that there's anything that women shouldn't be allowed to do? That's a good question. No, I guess not. I mean, and if they're physically able to do it, um, you know, if you're, let's talk about affirmative action, you know, uh, and comparing that to, um, you know, maybe necessarily hiring a certain amount of women, having a quota of women. It depends on the job. I think it should, you know, if we're talking about something that requires uh, like a fireman or something, police, maybe police, maybe it's a little different, but you know, if you want to make sure that you have to make sure the woman's physically able to do the same job, I guess. Yeah. There's no reason. There should be no reason that there should ever be, um, you know, women aren't allowed. If women can meet the same standards that men are required to meet, then there you go. Then you can do whatever you want as long as, you know, but outside of that sort of physical um, requirements, I don't think there's anything women should, should be banned from doing. Yeah. Well, um, I think that should, that should cover for the, the purpose of this article. I, I would like to at some point have a discussion with you about um, they can, but whether they should and, and um, playing into the, um, Maybe the, the the mental build of a man versus a woman and mm -hmm. uh, societal norms and stuff. I I think, and I'm not trying to push any opinion, but I think it's a fantastic conversation to have and one that's relevant uh, even today. And and so I, you know, at some point I would like to have that conversation with you if you're okay with it. Oh sure. Oh sure. Oh sure. You betcha. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be tabled for another day because we're going to talk about satanic ritual abuse. Totally. <sighs> Yeah. All right, so this is Slate.com. This was sent in by a listener. Thank you very much. And this is the real victims of Satanism ritual abuse. Or I'm sorry, satanic ritual abuse. But the yeah, pop-up of Slate is blocking <laughs> uh, The dangers were imaginary, but the consequences were not. And this is by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. <laughs> oh, what a confused Greatest name. name. <laughs> <laughs> Among the atrocities, and again, I'm not going to read this whole article because it is really big, but I do suggest you go, like Google it. Uh, you can also look at the Agent Provocateur Facebook mm -hmm. page because he posted a link to the same article. Excuse me. Among the atrocities of uh, that Francis and Dan Keller were supposed to have committed while running a daycare center out of their Texas home, drowning and dismembering babies in front of the children, killing dogs and cats in front of the children, transporting the children to Mexico to be sexually abused by soldiers in the Mexican army, wow. dressing as pumpkins and shooting children in the arms and legs, putting the children into a pool with sharks that ate babies, putting... <laughs> putting blood in the children's Kool-Aid, cutting the arm or a finger off a gorilla, I'm not sure which one, uh, at a local park, and exhuming bodies at a cemetery, forcing children to carry the bones. It was frankly unbelievable. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> Except that people, most importantly the Texas jury, did believe the Kellers had committed at least some of these acts. In 1992, the Kellers were convicted of aggravated sexual assault on a child and even sentenced to 48 years in prison. The investigation into their supposed crimes took, a slightly, took slightly more than a year, the trial only six days. And now even the Travis County District Attorney agrees that the trial was unfair. After multiple appeal efforts and 21 years in prison, the Kellers are finally free. Fran Keller, 63, was released from prison on November 26 on a personal bond just in time for Thanksgiving. Her daughter was waiting for her with a bag full of the first clothes that weren't prison-issued that Keller had seen in years. Dan, who turned 72 in prison and now walks with a cane, was released on December 5th. This time, Fran was there to greet him. The Kellers divorced while in prison, yet remained close, as well as two people locked in... Um, as well as two people locked in separate prisons for crimes they say they didn't commit can be. The killers were released after the doctor who had testified at their trial and provided the only physical evidence that any sexual assault had taken place recanted his testimony. Travis County District Attorney Rosemary Lamberg agreed with their findings of appeals filed on the killer's behalf that they were denied their right to a fair trial and that their conviction should be overturned. 
allowing the Kellers to be released while their appeals moved through the courts. In a practical term, this meant the Kellers are on a path that may lead to their complete exoneration, and that they were able to celebrate their first Christmas with their families in more than 20 years. Their release may also find mark, I'm sorry, finally mark the end of one of the strangest, widest reaching, and most damaging moral panics in American history, the satanic ritual abuse panic of the 1980s and 1990s. That was literally a witch hunt, said Keith Hampton, a pro bono lawyer from the Kellers. We say witch hunt in this figuratively way, um, but that was a modern day literal witch hunt. They really were after people who they thought were worshipping at the feet of the Dark Lord. <laughs> so what the hell happened? The Keller case is typical of the satanic ritual abuse panic and the dozens of cases that popped up in breathless media reports. The trouble started with Christy Xavier's, a three-year-old girl who was an infrequent visitor to the daycare during the summer of 1991, told her mother that Dan had spanked her, with coaxing from her mother and her therapist, Donna David Campbell, whom Christy had been seeing to deal with acting out issues, an incident of spanking turned into something much worse. Dan Keller, the little girl said, had defecated on her head and raped her with a pen. From there, the stories Christy told David Campbell became wilder. The Kellers had everyone take off their clothes and had a parrot that pecked them in the pee-pee. They made her smoke a cigarette. They came to her house with a chainsaw and cut her dog Buffy in the vagina until it bled. What David, the fuck? David Campbell concluded not that Christy was an imaginative child having trouble with her parents' divorce, but that she was the victim of ritual abuse. The case was turned over to the police. Parents of children who'd attended the preschool, however, continued to talk to one another about their children. In October, another child, also a therapy client of David Campbell, told her, uh, his parents that he'd been abused. A third channel, child, whose mother was in contact with the parents of the other two, came forward in February 1992. By the time of the trial in November 1992, the stories included the killing of a baby tiger in a graveyard, a person being shot by people in sheriff's uniforms and then dismembered with a chainsaw, videotaped sex with adults and other children, and the Kellers wearing white robes and lighting candles to assault them. Sounds satanic. No other children, including those children who were supposedly the targets of abuse or their parents confirmed the accounts. When put on the witness stand, Christy, by then five, was at first unwilling to say anything had happened at all, then did, then recanted. Friends and acquaintances of the Kellers, including their landlord, who frequently dropped by unannounced, testified that they'd never seen anything out of the ordinary at the Kellers' daycare. Why did psychotherapists and investigators conclude that these fantastic allegations were true? Because at the time, pretty much everyone else in America did. The seeds of the panic were planted with the 1980 publication of Michelle Remembers, the best-selling account of Canadian psychotherapist's work with a woman named Michelle Smith, who under his care began recalling forgotten memories of horrific child sex abuse at the hands of her mother and others who were part of a devil-worshipping cult. The book, though riddled with fantastical claims, for example, Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and the Archangel Michael healed Smith's physical scars, launched a cottage industry in recovering memories of satanic ritual abuse, psychotherapists and Smith later married. The panic began in earnest with the McMartin preschool trial, an investigation that began 30 years ago. The owners of the California school and several teachers were accused of molesting a two-and-a-half-year-old boy before it was over. Hundreds of children, usually after lengthy sessions with a coercive therapist, came forward to say that they, too, had been taken to a church to watch the beheading of a baby, then forced to drink its blood, or flown by plane to random cities for sexual abuse, or countless other bizarre stories. So there's one more thing I want to touch on, and then we will discuss here. Um... Let's see. Here, here it is. It sounds laughable, says Debbie Nathan, an investigative reporter who co-wrote Satan's Silence, Ritual Abuse and the Making of a Modern America Witch Hunt, about the panic, and is now a director of the National Center for Reason and Justice, which took up the killer's mm. cause. But there is a certain historical precedent, going back even further than the Salem witch trials. Ancient Romans, for example, claimed that Christians ate babies. Christians later claimed that Jews used ba Christians' babies' blood in their rituals. Children symbolized the good things about culture, the innocence and purity, the future of the culture, says Nathan. Mm. 
When a culture feels under threat in some way, fear and anxiety focus on the safety of the children. America was experiencing upheavals in gender roles, child-rearing practices, and social expectations, and more and more, people were embracing fundamentalist religion and belief in the devil. The fear of satanic ritual abuse was perpetuated by both ends of the political spectrum. In the right wing, you had that kind of preoccupation with Satan. And in the left, you had a lot of concern with the well-being of children and women going back to work. And I think it was a perfect storm for fear and anxiety, says Nathan. Most, if not all of those involved, believed they were acting in the best interests of the children, which meant that any healthy skepticism was interpreted as anti-child. But extensive investigations revealed little to no truth to the satanic ritual abuse panic. The McMartin preschool trial ended in 1990 with no convictions, even after the government threw more than $15 million at prosecuting it. In 1992, FBI agent Kenneth Lanning in his report on satanic ritual abuse declared that satanic ritual abuse wasn't credible. Quote, hundreds of communities all over America are run by mayors, police departments, and community leaders who are practicing Satanists and who regularly murder and eat people? Not likely. End quote. Two years later, the National Center on Child Abuse and Neglect under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services released a report claiming that there was no evidence of truth in satanic ritual abuse claims. Even so, people still believed. A Red Book magazine survey conducted in 1994 found that fully 70% of Americans believed that satanic ritual abuse was real. This, and I'm going to stop there, this is why I think, and this is why I, I rant about this, it is incumbent upon us to live as Satanists, to clarify, because shit like this has happened repeatedly throughout history and cultures. And because it can still happen if we are not careful. If we don't just respond, but live in, in, in truth as Satanists. We can stop any of this nonsense before it even happens. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason why I, I bitch and moan about this so much. Um, but, I mean, just the, the Satanic Panic era is a huge like, like stain on, mm. on the, the existence of Satanism and the Church of Satan. It took so long to fight through. Mm. And even after all that, if 70% of Americans still believe that shit even happened, or that it was even real, mm. I mean, do you think, Aaron, do you think mm. that we will ever be able to shake loose that bullshit? Uh, not in our lifetime, I can guarantee that. As long as people are, it's still so fresh. I think it's going to take generations to, to get over that. It was so fucking insidious it, you know, it was so ingrained in my consciousness as a child it was so true you know when i was a kid whatever and in and, and high school even high school age that shit was real as far as i knew you know and as far as most people knew that shit was real and my fucking mom loved true crime books and movies and so we i saw all of this shit when i was a kid all the crazy movies they made um it was so, and it was on Geraldo. That fucking Geraldo video is <laughs> solid gold. That is just such a time capsule. But it it it's so iconic in people's minds. I mean, Geraldo getting fucking in the face with a chair by skinheads, and their god that goddamn satanic documentary he made in like '96. <laughs> you know, I was like sort of out of high school, you know, college age. And I saw that and, but was that, or no, that was back when we were kids, but yeah. it, the whole thing is just so a part of my history and even my parents. I think, you know, we really believe that stuff. It's, I think it's going to take a long time. People may not, if, if people think about it at all, you know, then maybe they'll be like, oh yeah, I heard that wasn't real. You know, I heard that was, was fake, but most people, the average American, Especially in America. I don't know how what this meant in uh, other parts of the world, you know, if there was a sort of um, any sort of satanic panic in any other countries. That's interesting. I never thought about it. Um, but at least in America, we're fucked for a while because that is just what people think of, you know, devil worship, sacrificing and then, you know, cats. And then there's the 
ritual abuse that happened in the eighties. I mean, it's just sort of like, and even if it's not true and people know it's not true, it still is sort of there, you know, it's still underneath it all. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, the, the stain lasts and it's kind of like those, uh, people who are wrongfully accused of abuse or rape, oh, yeah. um, just in the regulars with no religious, um, scoring at all, uh, teachers or, or coaches or something, um, or, or classmates. Whether it's true or not, that will follow them. And so it's part for the course, just like for the, the church is saying, it's going to follow us. And, and all we can do is live responsibly and correct incorrect information. Yeah. And that's, that's literally all we can do about it because it's going to be out there. Um, and really, this is fuel for religion. I mean, you know, as in the nine satanic statements, without uh, without the devil, without Satan – He's the best friend the church ever had. Without him, it wouldn't have been in business all these years. I mean, they need this stuff to be yeah. true, or at least they need the stories to continue on. Or else there's no reason to follow their bullshit logic. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a bad guy. And if there is a history, albeit incorrect one, of satanic ritual abuse, then that gives them fuel to bring more people into their folds. And those worthless human beings, I would prefer not to have anything to do with them anyway. Mm-hmm. But especially in a country like America where religion seems to be such a huge part of our culture, um, this, this sort of uh, really just Christian and uh, Christian denomination religious obsession with us, um, with our country. It's, it's insane. And because of that, yeah, we will never shake it loose, unfortunately. Mm. But it is nice to see that there are reports still being done. There are essays still being written about the truth and whether or not people believe it, the truth is out there. And so, you know, it's nice that it's there. So thank you to the audience for sending that in. And I suggest everyone read that in its entirety because it is really good. And it does um, give information that I didn't know everything, you know, I, I, I didn't know fully about this. Because, you know, like Aaron just said, uh, we were kids when this was happening. So my focus was on Star Wars toys, <laughs> not satanic ritual abuse, <laughs> even though it was probably my parents' focus. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there, and there's great documentaries, too, if people are interested, uh, like Capturing the Freedmen's and the, all the West Memphis uh, West Memphis 3 documentaries that have been made that HBO yeah. has done. Those are great, and they, they're not mm, explicitly, you know, sort of labeled as the satanic panic. But that's what it was. I mean, the the kids from the West Memphis Three. That's all that was was them, um, you know, just being picked out as as Satanists, and somehow, you know, just just watch the documentaries. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you know, on a mac- micro level, we can sit here and argue. You know, they're saying that it was um, devil worshiping, and that's not Satanism. But they don't know the difference between right. that. No, so they don't. we see it as a difference. They don't, and that's why it's important to speak to it. And, and to clarify that there is a distinct difference. Exactly. And it's yeah. a huge important one. So, um, again, you know, that's all I really wanted to touch on in that article. Do you want to do a little down the crossroads? Oh, why not? Hell yeah! Ah, right, there you will. Sure you won't stay out in this blackout? Sure is dark tonight. Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine. See yourself! What are you doing out here? Oh, I'm, I'm headed down to the crossroads. <laughs> Wait, miss. You can't be. You're the, you're the devil. devil. But you're, you're beautiful. beautiful. Just sign here. Oh my God. Okay, hello. <laughs> oh wait. Hello. Hi there. Welcome to Dead Crossroads and shit. My shit is playing. God damn my computer to hell. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the new year, 2014. Yay, 2014 wolf, I'm gonna call it. Uh, nope. Why? Okay. I don't know, because it's fun. I heard it. On, <laughs> I heard it on a podcast today, and it was fun. Uh, so I wanted to go back in time and do a little best of because I, uh, you know, I don't um, convince my, I don't kid myself thinking that every 
buttons to every episodes, every. Um, so I'm afraid, you know, some people might have missed something, but also, you know, even if you do listen religiously to my, do you hang on every word I say? Still, yeah. it'll be fun to to visit these songs again. I sort of picked um, the best. I, it was going to be the best of 2013, but then there was one that wasn't from 2013 and that I really wanted to play. So I changed the <laughs> rules because they're my rules. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, nice. Yep. So we're. I'm going to start with Blind Willie McTell. Southern Can is mine. I'm going to hit play now. Oh, gonna, yeah. Yeah? You feeling that? Hell yeah. <laughs> So this is Blind Willie McTell. He's uh, hugely influential. Oh, I should uh, start my music too. Um, <laughs> from Lano, like all great things. Uh, Ain't no needy begging no job to me. <laughs> that's right. We should sing this. He was awesome. Yeah. He was really, you know, well-educated, had great uh, diction. He was really prolific he blind willing tell had hun, uh, maybe not hundreds he had a lot of recordings i might say a hundred hundreds perhaps or hundred um but he sang about uh he really great shit you know religion and then toward the end of his life he got kind of religious but when he was starting out, he's talking about crap shooters and car players and just behavior and uh dying beating women too and mothers um he <laughs> might have had some issues yeah he has some issues but this song southern canada's mine is really just about sex and violence you know he's talking about a girl's ass you know can mm-hmm. um it's mine he is he's saying it's mine in both you can kind of claim something <laughs> you know sexually and then sort of a proprietary like this the shit's mine <laughs> woman don't you forget it and don't anyone else mistake it <laughs> this shit's mine so it's not from what you've already it. said why is this in your uh, best of oh because it's fucking just wait what do i always say it's a classic you know because it is <laughs> i mean blind willie was so influential and this song i mean you can hear um the white stripes did a cover of it um it's just, it's very indicative. He has another song called the A to Z blues, where he just basically sort of goes like through the alphabet, A to Z of why he owns your ass, you know? Like, <laughs> and he just, uh, you know, it's fun to think of like this guy writing in, I don't know what year he, the, this is, the, I don't know. He was born in the 1800s or something, you know, he's just like 19, in the 19, early 1900s, 1920. This was recorded, you know, he died in this in the, at the end of the fifties. And to think about just, that's what I love that, you know, here's what it is. This is what I love about the blues is that this shit was going on in the, you know, in the thirties and the twenties the and the thirties and the forties, they were just, talking about all this shit that that kids these days think that they invented you know what i mean that's right grandma Aaron. god damn right you listen to me kids these days you listen to your dad Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's great you know he talks about you know spanking it and <laughs> i mean he's just just an, a wicked fucking asshole but it's so you know, he was completely, you know, a lot of these people were uneducated and, but they were just these massive talents and they had these songs just that were really simple and about really like the most base things like sex and violence, but they were just done so inventively and genuinely that I think this song is indicative of that sort of thing of, about of why I love the blues. You know, these three songs that I picked are really good examples of what got me into this and what keeps me interested in the blues and what, you know, every fucking day I get excited about this shit. You know, I hear some, I hear a new song that I've never heard before. Who fucking knew there were this many great goddamn songs in the world <laughs> that people are not listening to and this is this is why i do this this is why i do down at the crossroads <laughs> because dude guys 
dude bros there's so much good <laughs> fucking music that you're not listening to dude bros <laughs> homies i would not lie to you you got to listen to this shit <laughs> <laughs> well on that notion um you can actually check out the track lists for these not only on the facebook down to the crossroads page but also on ninecentspodcast.com down to the crossroads page where she has the Spotify list right there that you can click and listen to at your pleasure. And then also iTunes, if you decide you like it so much that you want to purchase it, um, if you're not a subscriber to some music service. So this music, she's gone, Erin has gone to the great lengths of collecting it for you, so you have no damned excuse for not hearing it. I spent so much time making these five playlists for you. (laughs) Uh, My vacation, my Christmas vacation. Aww. Just kidding. It only I did it this morning before I <laughs> before I beat out of my pajamas. But anyway, that's not the point. The point isn't how hard I worked. It's how important this music is. <laughs> well, that was a great track by a great artist. What's next? This next thing is Howlin' Wolf. I'm hit play on this spoon. Oh, yeah. bowl. I mean, come on. It doesn't oh. get better than Howlin' Wolf. This fucking jam, you guys. I watched over the weekend, maybe it was Friday night. I watched, maybe it was last night, I can't remember. I watched Wolf of Wall Street. I saw this, have you heard of this fucking movie, Adam? Yeah. You have got to see this movie, Adam. Yeah? Yeah, they use Alan Wolf's music to such a fucking stellar effect in that movie. It is goddamn genius. So nice. it's really, oh man, best movie I've seen in a wicked long time. Uh, Scorsese, of course, like how he, I've never seen a bad Scorsese movie. I really haven't. He's awesome. He's great. And Leonardo DiCaprio, who seems to be Scorsese's new muse, which I am totally okay with because I think he's a fucking great actor. Um, You know, he's cute as hell, but he really can't act. And, um, but Helen Wolf, you know, it was called, the movie's Wolf of Wall Street. So, but it, and so they could have used Howlin' Wolf to a really kind of cheesy um, effect, like, oh, you get it, Wolf, Wolf, get it, get it, huh? But, <laughs> but they used this song and they used Smokestack Lightning to such a fucking great effect. Because, you know, the guy is really into drugs. So they play this song, Spoonful, at one point, you know, because it is, this song is all about drugs. And it's all about anything that you can get really fucking into you know it could be coffee it could be tea you know but really it's drugs drugs and sex as most you know most fun things in life are and and to be fair i mean the 70s and 80s that that defines success is is being able to afford massive amounts of cocaine and get massive amounts of ass yes and this movie (laughs) <laughs> exemplifies that you know it's it's people are calling it the goodfellas of you know our generation's goodfellas which whatever really you, that good oh man it is that good i have and i'm a huge good you know i love all that shit i love the godfather and you know i love casino i love all the mob movies i fucking love goodfellas wolf of wall street is right up there it is so good it's so wow. it is so well done and it is so scorsese but um, without being like a, some time capsule or some sort of like nostalgic feeling for Scorsese, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what he's doing. No, this is a fucking great movie, and it's a fucking great Scorsese movie. You know, it's just it's fucking good. But Helen uh-huh. Wolf, you know, uh, you know, he's sort of a leap motif throughout the whole movie, um, which you know just made me love it all that much more. <laughs> Well, that that song was amazing. The, oh, man. the way he plays is just so it, it's magical. Like you're just drawn in. You have to move. Yeah. You can be the the person with the least amount of soul in the world, <laughs> and you would still be grooving to that tune. Oh, yeah. Damn, it's so good. So good. All right, let's go ahead and hit play, and I'll tell y'all all about this. Um. Uh. Hopefully my shit's going to start working soon. Exact opposite in pace. Yes. So Robert Pete Williams, this is my motherfucker right here. Um, <laughs> this, I would go to the mat. I'm oh, so guy. good. It is so goddamn fucking good. You, you listener have possibly have never heard a better song in your fucking life. 
as this is uh lord i'm coming back home soon he's you know first he's got that guitar and it's this crazy like so this guy is a fucking prisoner he's in jail um for murder and some ethnomusicologists find him and go and they figure out that this motherfucker can play like nobody's business like nobody they've ever heard before so he actually is released he gets a pardon from jail <laughs> he murdered somebody he was pardoned from jail because he was so good at what he does now uh lead belly has the same story and lead belly is a fucking legend i mean everybody kind of knows who lead belly is everybody even people who only know lead belly from nirvana's cover of where did you sleep last night everybody knows lead belly but not everybody knows robert p williams and he has a i think a better story than lead belly does and i think that May give it enough time because Robert Pete Williams comes from sort of a different, a little bit different generation. Lead Belly was kind of uh, back with Blind Willie Me Tell, kind of back then. Uh, both Helen Wolf and Robert Pete Williams were kind of contemporaries, more mm, making music in the 70s and 80s, even 60s, 70s, and 80s. But this guy, I mean, he starts first, you hear that guitar, and then you hear that fucking voice that's like a goddamn demon. Uh, like it just comes from somewhere fucking deeper you know it's like a fucking banshee you know from another dimension like his voice is just insane and then he's and then he starts playing the guitar in a totally different way and then now he's using it like a percussion instrument you know and Mm -hmm. uh and it just keeps going like that and he just builds on this this builds and builds and builds and I mean, he's a religious man and, and Robert Pete Williams, he, you know, like I said, he was in jail and they got pardoned because he was so good at playing the guitar and singing, but he's never, you know, he didn't go to school. Like he's almost completely uneducated. He's just like, just your average kind of black dude working back then, like ex-convict with can't read or write, but here he is with this in like preternatural talent for playing the guitar. Listen, these solo and that's great yeah man like where did that come from where did he ever fucking hear that before in his life you know what i mean like where is the shit coming from and i think that you know i think that's why people were like these assholes have definitely made a deal with the devil because where else does that shit come from that is a demonic possession And it just keeps going and it's hypnotizing. It just draws you in and he's just singing and maybe he's talking to God. What? I don't give a shit what he's saying, really. He's Mm. just, he's pleading and he's just, he's, I just can't, I just can't. I mean, he, this man knows what the blues is. It's a heavy burden. You know, this is a heavy burden that this man carries. (laughs) And he just wants to, he has to sing about it. He has to play. You know, he built his own guitar. His first guitar he built out of a cigar box, you know? And then he bought, like, he just had to play. I dig that um, that way of looking at it, is that um, some people work to become really great uh, musicians or artists, and some people are compelled to do it and and they don't care necessarily about success though it's always nice and they may even grow to resent their own success but through it all they they have to it's not a choice that they make they 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 just have to exercise whatever that demon is inside of them and get it out um and with him i believe it was definitely this music and he did it to some amazing results well, uh, that was fantastic, Aaron. That was a Thanks. great review of what we'd listened to in the past year-ish. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you online? Uh, get the Down to the Crossroads page on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter at ChelseaGirl19. That's pretty much it. All right. And everyone, definitely go check her out. Let her know what you think. Erin, uh, I think it's amazing as always. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's going to do it, everyone, for another show. I hope you enjoy it. We already have people uh, queuing up online waiting for us to start this live show so we're going to jump over to that so we would love to hear from you visit the website nine cents and send your correspondence to info at nine cents let me know of any suggestions critiques corrections or general comments you might have you can visit the same net facebook google plus twitter or myspace page for nine cents and get updated on weekly topics 
Download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com, and now on your smartphone. Uh, the only way this podcast is going to continue to live is if you tell a friend. Help spread the word, people. And once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by the beautiful Aaron. Hail Satan. Until next week, hail <laughs> fucking Satan. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>